Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We are now in our God is Able Sermon Series. In this life, it is so easy for us to settle for the ordinary. We wake up and typically have the same routine every single day. Yet our God created us to live an extraordinary life. There is no one in the world exactly like you, and God wants you to reach your full potential. This involves us growing deeper and deeper into Christ while following Him every day. His plans for us are immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. So let's trust Jesus and live out our extraordinary lives. Let's listen in. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. Hey, if I haven't had a chance to meet you before, my name is Nick Allen, and I get the privilege and the joy of being the campus pastor of this location of Rolling Hills, and I'm thrilled that you're here today. We're in um, week five, hard to believe, of a series called God is Able, and we've been going through the different parts of Ephesians chapter three, which is a verse that has chronicled the entire existence of our church and the story that God's been writing over what's now 20 years, and it's hard for me to believe. We just started this series at the beginning of August. Now we're at the first week of September. Happy Labor Day weekend, by the way. I'm judging by the fact that you're here that you didn't have any out-of-town plans, and I'm sorry. I get it. You're saving up for something bigger, which is great. I, I, I acknowledge that and encourage it. And so way to go. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 3, um, verses 20 and 21 specifically, because these are verses that have chronicled the life of our church, which feels so fast. Like, how did we get this far, this quickly? So let me just go ahead and be the first to wish you a happy Thanksgiving and a Merry Christmas, because the year is going at a breakneck speed. And it's probably going to be that way tomorrow. I'm glad that you're here today. Um, it says in Ephesians chapter 3, it says, now to him. A- and we acknowledge that everything that God is doing it is all from him and to him and by him and for him. And that everything is ultimately all about the great God creator of this universe. And so we say now to him, who's what? Able to do immeasurably more. Like beyond our wildest imagination, anything that we could ask or imagine, and I have a big imagination, there's no way. Yes, God can do far more than anything that we could ask or imagine or think up in our own, according to what? According to his power. His power that's at work with us. And we went over miracles that happened in the Old Testament when literally the sun stood still so that Joshua had enough time with his army to win the battle that was in front of them. Like we, we, we chronicled miracles in the life of Jesus where he turned water into wine. And then last week, our college and young adult pastor, welcome students, um, Brandon Billups launched out into Acts chapter 2 because this is the birth of the church. And that's actually where we're going to pick up with this week as he left off. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, that's where we're going to spend the the bulk of our morning. And so what we say, we say now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than anything we ask or imagine according to what? According to his power that's at work in us. And us is plural. And that's what we're going to zero in on the life of the church today. And then we say this, to him be the glory, what? In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, times forever, 
amen. That's where we're zeroing in. And last week, as Brandon launched into Acts chapter 2, he acknowledged where the early church was in this moment. That in the life of the disciples, the apostles, they had, they had waited for Jesus to return. They had spent a couple of weeks with him. He ascended back into heaven. He gave them a commission before he left. And there they are being filled up at Pentecost with the Holy Spirit. Like God is doing something. And I don't know about you, but for me, hindsight's twenty twenty. Like my, my regular vision is not twenty twenty. Like it's it's a lot worse than twenty twenty. And I even have at my age and stage of life, I have those like lenses inside of my lenses that help me read where I don't have to go like this, because that was getting a little bit too embarrassing. So I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> Hindsight, however, is twenty twenty. Like my vision looking back over the course of my life and figuring out what happened and why it happened and when it happened and what God must have been doing and the things that he wanted to teach me as a part of that. Hindsight, that's 2020. And I wonder in that moment, like in that moment when, when Pentecost happened and they start speaking in all kinds of wild languages and, and they're giving praises to God. We'll read that verse again in a minute from the beginning of Acts chapter 2. But I wonder if in that moment when Peter stood up, everybody's like, whoa, they must be intoxicated. And Peter's like, dudes, it's 9 a.m. Like, simmer down. Here we are. He says, not what's happening. This is evidence and the gift of the Holy Spirit of God being poured out on believers. And then he stands up and he delivers his first sermon. Imagine the sermon that it was because we get to verse 41 and we find out that 3,000 people trusted in Jesus to become his followers in that hindsight's 2020. In my mind, Peter probably thought back to Luke chapter 5. That, that moment when, when, when Jesus called him to, to be his disciple. Luke chapter 5 gives us the whole story of how it went down. Jesus was standing on the seashore preaching to a crowd of people. And, and Peter and his brother, we called him Simon back then. My 10-year-old's name is Simon. He loves when we get to a story in the Bible and we start talking about Peter. Because then he's like, you mean Simon Peter? <laughs> So Simon Peter's there mending his nets. They had fished all night long, didn't catch a thing. There they are on the side of the shore, parking their boats. Is that what you do with a boat? I don't know. Docking their boat? Maybe that's the better word. And mending their nets. That's what you do with their partners in ministry, not ministry, their partners in fishing at this time, James and John. And Jesus calls out to them and asks Simon, hey, hey, put your boat out just a little bit, and I'm going to sit inside of it, and I'm going to continue to teach the crowd from there. I don't know acoustically if that was somehow better, but Jesus decided to do it. Maybe he just liked the feeling of the water. Me, I get motion sickness. Okay, so he's there. When he's done, he dismisses the crowd, and then he says to Simon, hey, put your boat out into deep water. Now, a professional fisherman knew in this moment, this is not the time of day to catch fish, and that is not the spot on the lake where we're going to get anything. And then he says, let down your nets. And Simon responded to him, hey, listen, we fished all night. We didn't catch anything. But because you say so, I try to zero in on that passage of scripture as much as I can with my own children. Hey, you see that moment where the disciples just looked at Jesus and said, because you say so, do that for me. Okay, so because you say so, we'll let down our nets. And, and they did. And the fish that they took in was so incredible that the nets began to break. And so they had to motion for their other partners, James John, hey, you guys come help us out. And they got over there and they put, the nets started to break and the boats began to sink because the catch was so intense. When they get back to shore, marveling at how many fish that they caught, Simon falls down in front of Jesus and says, whoa, you got to get away from me because I am a sinner. And, and there's not a better response for you and I 
when we come into the almighty presence of God and we see how immeasurably extra he is in life, that catch of it, there's no other response than to recognize who we are as sinners and fall before him. And, and Jesus speaks to him in that moment. He says, don't be afraid because from now on, it's okay. You're going to fish for people. I wonder if in that moment, when, when, when 3,000 people trusted, for Jesus, trusted in Jesus for salvation, if Peter didn't look at the other guys and be like, y'all, this is just like that day with the nets. This is what Jesus said was going to happen. Hindsight's twenty twenty. This has to be what he meant when he told us that we were going to be people who fished for other people. Hindsight's twenty twenty. And what we have to acknowledge this morning, it's in your notes if you like to write things down so that you don't forget them or you can stay awake in the moment. Everything that Jesus did, Yo, everything that he said, every miracle he accomplished, every, everything he did in this ministry, in this life on earth, everything he did pointed to God, who God is, what God did, and what he will do. Like everything that God was doing in my life and in your life 10 years ago, 10 minutes ago, is pointing to who he is and what he's capable of continuing to do in our lives. It was not fish in a net, but it was people in a church. And that's how it was formed. 3,000 people, Acts chapter 2, 41, were added to their number that day. Yet every detail that we're given in Scripture, every part of these stories, every single aspect of what we read, every biblical detail, evidences for us God's glorious plan. It's how we know who he is and how we see what he does. If you go back to the beginning of Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 5, I can't get past these words. It says, now they were staying in Jerusalem. Like these are the people that, that, that saw the Pentecost, that freaked out in the moment. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Let's zero in on the every nation part. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard in their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Every single detail is evidence of God's plan. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Side notes, when I want to imagine what heaven is like, this is it. It's every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every dialect, every type of person declaring the same praise to the same God in whatever place we come from we get to declare how very good God is. Amazed and perplexed, they all ask one another, what does it mean? And so then Peter preached a sermon. He told them what it meant, and 3,000 people understood better who Jesus was. We fast forward again in Peter's life. After an incredible ministry, 30 years later, to a dispersed church because the Roman persecution started and they had a lot to endure. Remember that word endure because we'll come back to it later. They had a lot that they were going to go through over the next few decades. And now they're not assembled in Jerusalem anymore watching this crazy miracle take place. Now they're scattered all over the Roman Empire, the known world at the time, literally fearing for their very lives. Peter writes a letter to the church. 
And he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles that are scattered throughout the providences of what? Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Those same places of gathered people in Acts chapter 2 are now scattered all over the world because God was on the move. And I think in that moment of Acts chapter 2, he looked back at Luke chapter 5 and thought, whoa, that's what Jesus meant. And I think in that moment of 1 Peter chapter 1, he looked back on Acts chapter 2 and said, whoa, this is how far we've come. It's incredible. You know, regardless of everything that the disciples had witnessed, and us too, regardless of everything that we've experienced, we can still be a people who get it really, really wrong. Um, We're coming up on a birthday this week for um, Simon. He's 10, turning 11, super excited about it. We have older daughters who are 15 and 16, almost 17. It's crazy to think about. When they were little, this is a parent hack, like for those of you who have young children at home, birthdays at your house are cheaper than birthdays at those other places. Now, they will feed your children and clean up after them, so it may be worth the money to you, but just having a bunch of kids at your house and letting them play a game for a few minutes is a lot cheaper than going to one of the expensive places where all their friends get to jump and eat and do all the things. Now, I will say this, your children will also like the one at your house just as good, so you've spent a lot of money for maybe very little return in the moment. That's just a side hack that I wanted to give you today. We always did our kids' birthday parties when they were little at our house, and they would have friends over, and we would say, hey, what, do, what theme do you want to have, and hey, hey, who do you want to invite, and hey, what games do you want to play, and for whatever reason, some church carnival or homeschool thing, because that's what we did, must have taught our children the game pin the tail on the donkey because our girls always, always, always wanted to do that. And so we had to get creative through the years. Like, it's like, you want to do that again? We just did that last year. Oh, we're going to have to, no, this year we're pinning the carrot on Olaf. Oh, now we're pinning the star on Tinkerbell's wand. Oh, now we're pinning the bunny rabbit fuzz on top of Max and Ruby's bunny rabbit tail. Like, we're pinning something on something. And you know the game. It's been around since the 1800s, pin the tail on the donkey, which is a weird game to play with children because you're looking at a donkey's backside, and you want them to pin the tail right in the spot. And not only that, they used to use push pins. That was a health hazard. And they blindfolded the children. Like, what kind of world are we living in where we line up a bunch of kids and they raise their hand and they fight to go first that we blindfold them? And not only that, we spin them around (laughs) until they're moderately dizzy and distorted and confused. Don't feed them the cake before you do this game. We spin them around until they're dizzy and then tell them to try to be the closest to pin the tail or the wand or the carrot or the whatever, the map for Dora. We did that one too. Like pin the map in Dora's hand, back, 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 whatever. Like put it in the right spot. And then they take off their blindfolds and they all look to see who got the closest. And they're all really, really, really wrong. When we talk about the life of the church who we are and where we are and what it means today. The world is constantly saying to us, hey, won't this be fun? Let's put on a blindfold so that you can't see clearly. And let's spin around for a minute until you're moderately distorted and then try to do this. And, and, and we're blindfolded and spinning around and attempting to live like Jesus and attempting to be the church, and we, we get it wrong. 
regardless of what we see, regardless of what we experience, we're, we're still a people who can, who can get it wildly wrong. These are men who had walked with Jesus for a period of three years. They had witnessed the resurrection. They had, ex- they had witnessed the crucifixion, and they had experienced the resurrection. He's hanging out with them for a period of weeks, and now he's, in Acts chapter 1, standing on a hillside, declaring to them that he's about to ascend back into heaven, and he's given them these final instructions. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6, they ask him this question. They gather around him and said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you finally going to put us in charge? Is everything finally going to be right? Is Israel going to be the dominant world power in this moment? We've seen you on the cross. We see now that you're alive. Is it finally the moment when we get to win? Like regardless of everything that they'd experienced, they still got it really, really wrong. And so Jesus says to them in verse 7, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Jesus was always looking for a moment to remind them God is in charge. I often look for those moments in the life of my children just to kind of speak, hey, FYI, just in case you've forgotten, in case we haven't reminded you in a hot minute, I'm in charge. <laughs> like, I just like, FYI, Jesus is looking for that moment. Hey, guys, simmer down. You don't get to know all the things. You don't get to be, like, God is still in control. And then he says this, but you will receive power. They wanted political power. They wanted earthly power. They were ready for the kingdom of Israel to prevail. And he says, let me tell you about the kind of power that you're going to receive. You're going to receive my power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, that's when they started speaking in all the freaky languages and people went wild and 3,000 people got saved. You're going to get power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. All you Galileans are going to spread out. And it's not going to be because you chose it. It's going to be because of the Roman Empire, and God Almighty willed it. You're going to be my witnesses to the end of the earth. Dr. David Platt, um, pastor, teacher, writer, theologian, like, like far away, he doesn't know me at all, but far away mentor, read his books and, and like what he says. He, he writes this in a book called Don't Hold Back. Okay, if you're going to write a book called Don't Hold Back, or if you're going to read a book called Don't Hold Back, who you get ready because he, he didn't hold back. He's talking about being on mission. I think in Brazil where we spend time with Justice and Mercy International, he says, on the last night of the track, Bieto spoke up again. This guy that they had been ministering to in the jungle When you share the stories about Jesus, I feel like I have a dirty heart. And that's it. Like when we learn about Jesus, when we read about Jesus, when we encounter Jesus, when we see the immeasurably more miracles, whole lot of fish, Jesus, we are supposed to come in contact with just how sinful we are and how much we need that Jesus. Just like Simon on a seashore, Beato is going, hey, when I hear about Jesus, when I encounter Jesus, the Jesus that you talk about, it tells me that something's wrong with me that needs to be made right. He says, is there any way that my heart can be made clean? And so David Platt responds, he says, that's the good news about Jesus. The reason that he came was to give us a totally new heart. And so that's when Luan, another fellow that they were serving with, said words that David Platt, he says, I will never forget. The stories about Jesus are so good, and they seem so important. I just don't understand. Please let this sink in with me. It sunk in. I had to read it twice. I just don't understand why we and our tribes and our ancestors before us never heard them till now. And David Platt's like in his 40s, like me. Like, okay, it's, it's, this is not a story from 50 years ago. It's not a story from 500 years ago. It's a story from now. 
There's a fella in a jungle looking at David Platt in ministry, and he's going, these stories about Jesus are awesome. I just don't, like, I don't get it. Like, how come we didn't know them until now? How come our tribes and our people and our ancestors didn't get these stories until right now? And so David Platt persists in the book. He says, I'd like to ask you to consider Luan's question. Why do approximately 3.2 billion men, women, and children like these men and their families, why have they never heard the good news of Jesus? And then he says, my contention, this is where he stopped holding back, in this chapter is simple. While many factors contribute to gospel poverty in jungles, villages, and even megacities around the world, one of the primary reasons, if not the, and like he emphasized the word the so that when I read it out loud, I would read it like this, one of the primary reasons, if not the primary reason, that millions of people remain unreached by the gospel is that the global purpose of God has always faced resistance from the nationalistic people of God. Like, regardless of what we've experienced, it's very possible for us to get it wrong. From the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, in the early church in the New Testament, to the current church in the United States, people of God have continually desired the preservation of their nation more than the proclamation of the gospel in all nations. And just as generations of God's people before us needed to do, God is calling us to place less priority on our beloved home country, a country that will one day fall, and more of a priority on a global kingdom that will last forever. Not only, this is the best part, not only is doing so, hang on, urgent for billions of people in need of the gospel, it is also necessary to overcome sickness within the church. We have to be a people who are willing to diagnose and treat sickness. Because otherwise, we're just walking around with our blindfold on, having spun around like a crazy for a minute, attempting to figure out where things go and what they are and, and why they're important. We're a people attempting to live like Jesus and to be the church of Jesus in moments when we're blindfolded and spinning around at any given whim of the world, attempting, and we miss the mark. Like politics, it's a blindfold. Patriotism is a blindfold, arguing over really inconsequential doctrinal issues. Like, like people over here that are like, hey, Calvinism is all this and the end all, and people over here are Armenian, like, no, you guys are wrong. Like, arguing over anything about that and like that, we're probably going to be neighbors in heaven. Those are blindfolds. Figuring out the whole deal about what we do with women in ministry here and what we do with women in ministry here, that's an argumental blindfold after spinning around in circles for thousands of years. We're going to be neighbors in heaven declaring the marvelous praises of the exact same God of the universe who has done everything that he wanted to do for all time to point us in his direction so that we might be a people who are dramatically devoted to him in every single way. Some of those things are blindfolds. And we're a whole bunch of people spinning around attempting to do Jesus and attempting to do the church, always missing the mark. The mission is not about preserving an earthly kingdom. It's about portraying a heavenly one. That's the essence of the church. That's the essence of 
Jesus. What did these people do once they had been saved, once they had seen the miracle, once they had heard Peter's sermon and dedicated their lives to him? Bible says in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And I got to stop right there, and I shouldn't stop right there because for the sake of time, but like I'm telling myself in my head, hey, don't stop and dwell on this point. Just keep reading the passage of scripture, but I know I'm going to do it anyway, so I might as well. Like when they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, it wasn't this. I'm devoted to the apostles' teaching, and that is my number one priority. And somewhere way down the bottom of the list, but maybe still making the top 10, is the idea of fellowship. Like they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Scripture doesn't say that for us. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. It was a connection point in the life of the church that we sadly so often miss. There was devotion to both, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It says everyone was filled with awe and with many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I see so much of this happening in the world and in the life of the church and in my own 20 plus year ministry. There's those moments and conversations when you're, when you're having a dialogue with another believer and they're like, you know, I'm just not being spiritually fed here. Like I'm gonna have to go to a place where, where I'm really going to be fed and we're elevating the idea of the apostles teaching and the word of God, which we should because it's that important and we want to be in a place where we are being spiritually fed, but you cannot be spiritually fed without being deeply enmeshed in a community of faith. That was the essence of what was going on in the life of the church. And there's so much of modern Christianity, it's in your notes, it highlights an individual pursuit. Like that I should just be pursuing Jesus, that I should be pursuing faithfulness, that I should, by myself over here in my corner, exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. There's a lot of modern Christianity, books are being written about it all the time, and there's podcasts that you can listen to, and sermons that you can watch, and ideologies that you can subscribe to, all about your individual personal relationship with Jesus. But Scripture's intent was always to create a community of faith. Emphasis on the community. The believers were together, had everything in common. There are actual spiritual disciplines given to us in this word that we ought to apply to our lives, but they are found and they are furthered in our togetherness. Everything about this passage, everything about this early church, everything about the target that we're aimlessly aiming for is all about devotion to Christ and expressed in sacrificial generosity and hospitality. You don't have generosity and hospitality without other people. You just don't. It's a together kind of endeavor. A and we look at this passage of scripture and we're like, okay, this is, this is how it all shakes down. There's devotion to Christ and we see it. 
we see this picture of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. They were devoted, they were connected, they were committed to the word. And in verse 43, everyone was filled with a sense of awe. When you see the things that God is doing, you are filled with awe and wonder. And that leads to worship and more devotion. It's a cycle. In verse 46, they met daily in the temple. They gathered together. Why did they do that? Because the temple was always a place, dating back to Old Testament history, where the people came near to God. They would gather around the temple and the the priest would go into the inner courts, into the Holy of Holies, and he would make a sacrifice on behalf of the sins of the people, and that's how they would worship God. And when they would see the smoke go up and they would see the cloud and they would see the fire, they came to the temple, they came to the tabernacle, they came to that place to be near God. So here's the early church of now 3,000 plus people. They're gathering together near the temple. Why? Because they want to be in the presence of God. Their devotion to Jesus was incredible. In verse 46, it was glad and it was sincere. It was full of gratitude. We just sang about that. And that they were all together all the time. Verse 47, praising God. But none of them did that alone. Because through that same passage of scripture, you see all the parts where other believers matter just as much as their individual faith. In verse 42, they devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Every time you see breaking of bread in scripture, it means hospitality. It means the door is always open. It means let's sit at the table. It means you and I are friends. They devoted themselves to that kind of community. In verse 44, they were together. They had things in common. In verse 45, they went so far as to share with anybody that had need by selling their own possessions to make sure that other people were taken care of. In verse 46, they continued to break bread from house to house, enjoying fellowship with one another, having, verse 47, favor with all the people, their devotion to Jesus Christ and their individual pursuit of him did not trump their fellowship with other believers. In fact, you cannot have one without the other. And I think for a really long time in modern Christianity, in Western Christianity, in privileged Christianity, we've put a blindfold on We've spun around a few times, and we've attempted to do Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, and we've missed a really powerful mark, because God was doing something. That word devotion in Greek is proskartereo. You want to say that? Like, proskartereo? Some of y'all are scared. Proskartereo. Good job. Y'all were nervous. I could tell. You did good. Like that's, that's, for those of you who live up north, that's, that's our southern Greek, and we did well. <laughs> it, it literally means to adhere to, to stick to something, to, to be constant, to be steadfast. And, and you know just as well as I do all the Latin that you had to take when you are in high school to prepare for the SAT. Pro is a prefix, and it means something. So the root word in this context is kartoreo. You want to say kartoreo? Kartoreo. You can, you can do it as southern as you want to. I'm totally okay with that. You know what that means? It means endure. A- and you know what the word endure means because you look it up. It's on Google, Oxford Dictionary. We can find it. It means to suffer patiently. It means to remain through adversity. It means to last. The very essence of our devotion to Jesus, to his teaching, and to one another in fellowship means that we have to endure hardship. It, 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 it means that we have to go through hard things. 
In fact, if you don't go through hard things and you don't endure some kind of hardship and you're not able to last with faith through it, then I don't think that you can actually say the word devotion. It's not devotion if it's easy. And that's certainly what this church would experience. Little did Peter know, little did all of those Parthians and Bithynians know that the way that God was gonna give them power was to make them suffer and to spread them out across the world so that they could declare God's praise even through adversity and draw even more people to him. Everything that Jesus said, we read about it in the Gospels. Every miracle that he did, every moment that he had, always pointed to who God was and what God would do. Now, everything that we do, everything that we say, every way that we engage, every, way, every part of how we live should point to what Jesus did in the sacrificial manner with which he did it. Wherever it is that God takes you or sends you, it's always in order to use you for his glory so that other people, by seeing and sensing what you go through and the way you go through it, can recognize that there's a great God who loves them. Who, who, who see and recognize the way that you respond to Jesus in total devotion and to total worship and then see and interact the fellowship and the community that you're a part of. It's to help them see the glory of God. So, so 30 years after this sermon, 30 years after watching 3,000 people literally break the nets of the church, 30 years after that moment where he had to have hindsighted the first moment, he sends a letter to a church, and in 1 Peter chapter 2, he writes this, You also like living stones. You guys used to gather at a temple in Jerusalem. Well, now Rome has destroyed that temple. You can't gather there anymore, but don't worry about that. It's not, it's not, it's not a problem that you can't gather at the temple to be near God because you guys, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house so that wherever you go, people can be in the presence of God. You're a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices. you got to endure acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He goes down in verse 9 to say, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you, not individually you, but you, plural you, might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Hey, let's put your boat out into deep water. Watch what I can do. Take the blindfold off and watch this. Because not only am I going to blow your mind today, you're going to be thinking about this in three years. You're going to be thinking about this in 33 years, and you're going to know me and trust me more because of it. To declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The very best praise comes from people who are devoted to God and his word, and to one another. Not God and his word and one another, but to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. It, it matters that we are together. Taking the blindfolds off. Stopping each other from spinning around aimlessly trying to do it, but together representing Jesus in the world. 
Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.